0: Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast is one of my heroes, really, in my life, is um, Al Caraway. Welcome to the podcast, Al.
1: Thank you.
0: Um, Al doesn't really need an introduction. She's somebody who's very well known. She was on our podcast, episode 114, in the spring of 2019, so that's almost two years ago. And a lot's happened since then. She's written a new book called Wildly Optimistic. She's had many blog posts. She's had Child number 3, and she's made a cross-country trip um, living in upstate New York. And I just want to share with our listeners how I feel about Al. Al has this ministry within our church that doesn't show up what I call on an LDS Tools calling. If I could look at her calling in her ward, it doesn't really show what she's doing. Um, but I, I don't
1: even have one. <laughs> she
0: have one. There you go, listeners. But it's people like Dennis Schleicher that joined the church, a gay Latter day Saint, and, and reading her book, um, Tattooed Mormon, I believe is the right title, was key for him knowing that there's a place for him in our church. And Al is just in this space of improving our culture to be less judgmental and more loving so more people can feel the benefits of our restored doctrine and feel like they belong and feel like there's a place for them. So I just think she's been, um, preordained. I don't want to get too serious and too over religious here from, as part of her life mission to join the church and now to help improve our culture. And there's something about her New York blood that gives her tough skin that allows her to navigate some, sometimes pretty choppy waters. And, um, so, is that okay for an introduction, Al?
1: That is great. It's all downhill from here, really, <laughs> you guys.
0: <laughs> I want everybody to make sure they go to Al's website, Al Carraway, C A R R A W A Y dot com. Her books are there, her blog is there, Her um, all the products she provides. Um, she speaks regularly. COVID shut that down, but I'm assuming in 2021, Al will be back on the road. Doing firesides are really all over the world, and sharing her message. So is that true, Al? Do you hope to go back and be able to speak again?
1: I miss speaking. I hate. I hate traveling. I don't miss traveling, but I do miss the act of speaking. I was coming back from New Zealand from speaking um, when everything shut down, so I just made it in and in the nick of time.
0: <laughs> um, to start with either your new book, your kids, your cross country, your blogs. Just update our listeners.
1: Well, I popped out another kid. She's actually a year old now. I feel like we just spoke, but maybe because I feel like I see all your posts that we I feel so connected and up to date with you. <laughs> uh yeah, so we had I had another kid, Mercy. She's awesome. I was actually diagnosed high risk with her and they were telling me that I probably wouldn't live through my pregnancy with her. So here I am and here she is and that is all great things that are happening. Um and then, yeah, I popped out another book. I went on a book tour while Mercy was just a week old. And <laughs> that was fun. That's and I, 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 I feel like I only exist for that book. And that seems like a very steep statement, but I do believe my kids are great and all. I love them. I'm glad they're here. I know they're glad they're here, but I believe that I was here for that book.
0: <laughs> That's Tell us more about the book. What a beautiful title, Wildly Optimistic.
1: My husband came up with that title. So every chapter in that book is a theme within a trial. Uh, And so the chapters are when he is silent, when it's not what we wanted, um, when trusting God is hard, when we doubt. These are all the titles. Uh, When we don't know what's right, when we want to give up, when we don't fit in. I think someone called me. Can you hear me? Yeah. (laughs) When we keep looking back. um, And so it's really these um, themes within my life that I can kind of fit all of my hard, unwanted, uncharted, um, unexpected themes within. I feel like my life is in the pattern of bad to worse to even worse. And actually, you know, I joined... Um, the church when I was 21 and I'm from New York and I was like unstoppable then I only thought people turned to this supposed God as some sort of mental comfort if something was going wrong but that wasn't me and then you know I found out oh wait God like he, he he's real so if life was good before I'm going to be unstoppable now And it wasn't until I got baptized that everything just completely shattered. And I feel like it's kind of stayed in that pattern since then, almost 11 years, 11, over 11 years ago. And so I just got to a point where it's just, wait, I can't spend my life pleading for things to be over and things to be different. What is the solution and how am I going to tackle this if I am to follow in suit of bad to worse to even worse? And so that book is everything that is going wrong, the times where he's not there, the times where I can't hear him, um, and and how to move forward and deal with all of that and to do so optimistically, because I like to consider myself an optimist. (laughs)
0: I love this because if the book title is Wildly Optimistic, so you would almost think a reader would open it and just hear chapter after chapter of wonderful experiences. And and I love that when you went through those chapters, Al, they were difficult experiences in the context of Wildly Optimistic. And I think that's one of your gifts and one of your missions is to talk about real stuff and to be able to relate to people because you're honest about real stuff that makes them feel safe with you and safe listening to you because they recognize you're going through the same things they are. Talk talk to listeners that just don't feel the Spirit. Um, They've been programmed that if they kind of do this formula of reading and praying and going to church, that they'll always feel the Spirit. What would you say to listeners that feel like they're doing everything to feel the spirit, but they just feel, it just doesn't feel there for them.
1: Uh, I have learned, like I said, everything was taken from me because of the path I chose to, when I found and followed God, family ripped away from me, friends just completely gone. And, and I'm, I'm alone. I don't know what I'm doing. I have no one there to mentor, to teach, to know examples. It's me in a church pamphlet of like, wait, I don't even know if I'm praying right. Wait, spirit? Like, what does that even mean? I don't know what that looks like. I don't know what that sounds like. And and it was probably the best thing that's ever happened to me because through losing my voice, screaming at God. <laughs> because of my situations um, through this physical just anguish that causes just an an ache in your bones. um, I, I have learned to experiment that there is always another way to look at things. And if I'm not, and so if everything seems doom and gloom or quiet or stagnant, I need Uh, to figure out, I I need to look at it differently because I know that the God that I believe in says that that's inaccurate. So when I feel like he's not there, he's not talking to me, what I have learned is that I subconsciously put this box around God, that I, I subconsciously found myself limiting a limitless God, meaning, oh, he only comes to me in X, Y, and Z ways. So that when those ways aren't happening, wonder and wander and doubt and anger and confusion come. And and I realize that if I look at things differently, if I try and take away this box that I put on them, I can see different ways that he is showing me that he is there, he is guiding and he is in charge. And so I, I do usually have to wait until I'm, in the desperate levels where I'm screaming at him to, to really be good at that tool. Um, cause I feel like I, I feel like I'm smart and capable and I trust myself. I almost trust myself more than I trust God, mostly because it's more comfortable being in charge of your own self. It's hard to trust God because if you give it to him, what's he going to do with it? You know, but, uh, Once I I give up and I'm waving my my white flags and my red flags at the same time, I realize, wait, wait, the God I know never leaves. The God I know is an unchanging God and that means he'll always be a loving God and that won't change. He'll always be a guiding God and that won't change. And so it's really just skewing your perspective. If you feel like God has turned his back on you, turn around,
0: change your sight. Are there examples that... Um, you brought into your book that w- that you share from your own life examples of this, or anything you want to share along those lines.
1: Oh my gosh, my whole
0: life. That's honest.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, my whole my whole book is that example. When when you're not hearing him, you know, that's a whole chapter of story and experience upon experience of when he's telling you to do something and you don't want that that that's the story of my life. I mean, but what it, what's helpful for me is it just takes you trusting him one time. It takes you seeing your seasons through one time for him to show you how great he really is. And if you do it just that one time, you just see your seasons through, you just embrace the unexpected remembering who's guiding you. And you see that you're still here. Um, it will make it easier for the next time and then the next time. And so really it just took one, one time to just, I was just hoping that he is as good as he promises he is. Um, and I look back at all the times I've screamed at him and yelled at him, wondering where he is and if he even cares still about me. It was all of those times that has brought me to everything. I have now, you know, the, my, my favorite things. I wouldn't have a single thing if it weren't for those exact times. I was wondering where he is. Um, yeah. I mean, someone asked me if I was going to write another book after I just popped that one out and I'm like, I gave it my all. I, I have nothing left. It's everything I've ever learned, felt, experienced, struggled with. And then and then you know, I, I even if I wanted to write a book, I say that I couldn't because it's all in there. And then, you know, that book came out, and we moved from Arizona to New York. This that the, towards the end of this summer, and uh, closing on our house did not happen the way that we wrapped our entire lives around, and planned around it. We actually ended up houseless, um, and that was over a month. Five of us with a big. 150 pound dog in a single hotel room for week after week after week. And the things that I learned and questioned and screamed about then, you know, I could probably write a whole book just on that. And so we just, we keep morphing and we keep (laughs) figuring things out and we keep learning more adjectives of God that, you know, have been a good tool to learn. So I want to say I give it my all. And yet here I am still experiencing and still learning and still struggling and and morphing.
0: I love that term, more adjectives of God and still learning and still growing and stretching. And I think a lot of our, a lot of listeners would hope, you know, if you have time that you would continue to write um, and write another book. I don't want to put pressure on you, but you um, have a way of, um, teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ through your own experiences and bringing hope and healing to others—it's one of your gifts. So, talk other other chapters of the book. Wildly optimistic—you kind of went through and named several of them. Are there any you want to go back to, Al, and talk to our listeners about?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of it's all very personal. I mean I have years of unemployment and and death you know the brink of death with pregnancies or some pregnancies where we don't have health insurance and and you don't know what's I mean it's everything but there's actual like there's a lot of scriptures from the Bible in there that are really looked at in a I'd like to think a different perspective to really place ourselves I think it's easy um sorry, my alarm went off. It's easy to look at these people in the scriptures and be like, well, that's cool and great and good for them because we can see their start to finish. And and we can't always see that with ours. And so there's a lot of scriptural stories to really like place yourselves um, in and see them differently. Like for um, example, one of my favorites that I've come to love is about Lazarus. And then you have Mary and Martha, the sisters. And they they loved each other. I'd like to say that they were best friends with Jesus because every time he was in Jerusalem, he would stay at their house in, in was it Bethany? And um and they were they were so close. And when Jesus heard that Lazarus got sick, he knew about it and he never went. And that was hurting them through, you know, twofold in my mind. One, as a savior. They knew that if he would come to them, he could prevent. It he could heal them, he could stop it. But two, as a close friend, he knew that if, you know, why aren't you here? You know, where are you? I thought, I thought, I thought you loved me. And that one kind of just pierces me because, you know, we we think, wait, if he was here, this wouldn't be happening. If he were really here, things would be different. Wait, I thought. He loved me. Um, that's probably my favorite one. And we kind of, you know, I just talk about one of my favorite scriptures is uh, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. That's kind of my motto in life, my, my recentering perspective, because there is, in fact, something else like he knows something we don't and to hold on for that ultimate magnification of seeing you know, seeing it come through and waiting for that bigger miracle. I mean, that's the whole story of Joseph in the Old Testament. He was promised a great life. He was favored and, and he was supposed to be a leader and then life brought him to a hole. And you're like, wait, er, hold on. This wasn't part of the plan. Where are my promised blessings? And then just when you think like life is really bringing you down to the dirt, in his case, literally, he's, he's sold as a slave. And years are passing and you're like, wow, you know, wait a second. And then, you know, he, he, he's in prison. He goes to prison for years and you just, it's me. You know, we have these moments where you're like, Wait. Where is God in this? Wait, where are these promised blessings? You know, we become members of this church and you're like, "Oh, if you do this, this is going to happen and you're you're favored, you're the salt of the earth." And you're like, "Cool, great. Then why am I in prison? Why is all of this time passing?" And um, you know, and that's where like that ultimate magnification. We hold on to these people in the scriptures that we can see their start to the end and know that our unchanging God will do that same thing to us, you know, even though that we can't see our end. And Joseph, I mean, he did become a leader, but not over just his little area, over his own little family, but all of an entire civilization. And he was able to be reunited with his family and bring them to a more abundant life with, with, you know, it was the ultimate magnification. And so It's just these scriptures where you're wondering why and what and for how much longer. Um, And we hold on to the truths we can pull from that and where we can see ourselves in those stories to help us to keep going just even another day.
0: Love that. I love these words you're using, magnify, and I love the examples you're pulling out from the scriptures in your own life. Talk about, um, you've kind of done this already, Al, if you could go back and talk to yourself on your baptism day um <laughs> eleven years ago, and then i is there a, is is there a feeling that we or somehow communicate that everything would be rosy once you got baptized and it'd just be blessing after blessing and success after success and happy day after happy day, and I don't know if we communicated that when you got baptized, but I, part of your story is it's been hard at times after your baptism. And that's the way it is for all of us. Um, So I don't, what would you say to yourself back on your baptism date, now 11 years away from it?
1: Oh, I just laugh at how ignorant I was.
0: (laughs) That's honest. You're always honest.
1: (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, ignorant because I was 21 and the contrast is so black and white that it's just, it's, there's no way that you can turn your back on this contrast of before and after. And it's ignorant because this is actually what got me into speaking, but I had such a pause moment in my life after this because I just gave up my family so I can live this life within this church with this God that I still am learning about. Um, wow. and, and I, and I gave up all of my friends willingly and I moved to Utah against my will, but following the God, really, I wanted to serve a mission. And my answer was move there and I was mad, but I did it. But a part of me was like excited that I could be within this community because I'd never had that before. And it wasn't until then that I ignorantly realized, wait, there are people that have had this their whole lives and they don't do anything with it? Wait. What? Wait, what do you mean that you there you've always had the tool of prayer that you can talk directly to the God of a the universe and you just you just don't? <laughs> like wait, what do you mean you've had the book of Mormon? on your bedstand, your entire existence, and you just, you haven't read it all the way through, like, wait, what? Do you know what that just did for me? You know? And so I had this moment of like, wait, uh, what? Do you know, I gave up ev- everything for this, and people just, they just don't. <laughs> they just don't. And and then, you know, fast forward even, just the smallest amount of time, I was vacuuming my living room, and I had these, I caught myself having these thoughts of, what if it's not true? Like, what have I just made myself believe because it sounds nice and, and how many times I have done that where, you know, you have these thoughts, you know, maybe it's due to lack of efforts. Maybe it's due to being circumstantials, um, but, or maybe it's due to just wandering minds when you're vacuuming the living room. And I, you, you wonder, wait a second, is it, is it really? (laughs) So here I am thinking like, how could they, and it's me, it's us, it's all of us. Um, and I mean, there's a lot of seasons that I would have had no idea about. I had I had no idea about anything when I got baptized, but the the unwanted, the longer than anticipated past, the uncharted, the unexpected, those are those are the the gems in life. And I wish I could just shake myself and say, quit yelling at him so much. Like counseling like you he, he knows something you don't and what a thrill it is i wish i could just remind myself that you don't actually want things to go your way you don't actually want those things because what he has is so much better like you don't forget how thrilling it is to allow god to be god to give him the chance to show us how great he really is. It would save me so much gray hair and an ache to just give it to him just a little bit sooner. <laughs> it's
0: really cool. Um, I love the perspective of you being a convert, Al. And um, all you gave up to join the church and those of us like me that grew up in the church didn't really give up anything to join the church. We had a support structure around us, a family. I'm a Utah native, and it helps me to hear you. And that's part of, um, I think, your life mission is to kind of sometimes give people like me and others a wake-up call to remind us about what, what blessings we do have, what privileges we have, to use Elder Uchtdorf some of his language with the Book of Mormon, a personal relationship with heavenly parents who love us, a knowledge of a pre mortal life and how that gives us context for what's going on here. Um, talk to uh, different questions come in my mind, and I know you can handle just about any question. Any question you've been asked. What would you, if you, if LDS bishops were listening and they wanted to improve the culture of their ward so that everybody feels a feeling of belonging. Um, and everybody feels welcome and everybody feels needed. And they just kind of recognize that maybe not everybody feels that way. And I want to do better. Do you have any advice? And it could be any local leader, a young women's president, or religious society president, just to create a culture, a feeling that everybody's welcome.
1: Well, no, you know, I've spent a lot of time thinking about that because I have not. I, the people that have been the worst are the people that I go to church with. Um I don't know. Well, one just don't treat people like crap. I think that's a good golden rule for anyone, but I think really um it's it's not advice for bishops and leaders. I think it's more advice for you anyone who who is not feeling like they fit in or getting the support or counsel that they need for their situation from those leaders and that's The best thing that I have learned is to really invest in loving yourself. Um, Because when there were times where bishops who weren't my bishop, but who were bishops at the time, you know, who would see me online from an article or something that I did and they would say, God can never love someone like you. Wow. And, and I, people would look at me and they'd, eyes would bulge out and they'd start walking the opposite direction and and you know you just you you are going to drive yourself mad and you are are going to end up ill if you feel that you know if you follow the pursuit of trying to change other people but if you really invest in loving yourself then everything else just becomes noise I struggled when I first moved to Utah because how I was treated, treated because it was, I didn't have family and friends like back where I'm from in New York, like brothers and sisters is a very literal term. It's, it's actual family. And then I moved to Utah and it was my family that the only people I would have out there are the ones turned in the opposite way saying God can never love me. And, Maybe I should just end my life. That's what they would say to me. The world would be better off without me. (laughs) That's what people would say. These are members of the church. And that was when I, for the first time in my life as a 22-year-old stubborn New Yorker, for the first time in my existence, I felt uncomfortable with myself. And when you are uncomfortable with yourself, you are uncomfortable with life as a whole. Everything else becomes harder. Even if it seems relatively irrelevant, it's all related. And I, I just got to this point where I can't, this isn't me. I, I miss me. I'm, you know, and you get to a point, it's like, okay, wait. So now what? And I realized, like, I'm going to learn to see myself the way that God sees me. And I'm going to hold on to that for dear life, because that's the only thing that matters. And I'm going to hold on to what God himself has told me and what I believe I need to be doing in my personal life. And I'm going to go for it. And if I am right, if I feel like I'm doing what I feel called to do, everything else is just noise. Yeah, I have leaders that still aren't great. (laughs) I've been a member for 11 years now. You have members, you have leaders, and they're just not going to be what you need or want or expect them to be. But if you are, you know, sometimes you just worry about you and worry about God and, and, and you have the power to move through all of that. Um, learn, learn what your calling is in life and love yourself and just stick it out with God, because no matter what, I'm not going to let some (laughs) Joe Schmo comment stop me from living a life that brings me joy. And I'm definitely not going to let some rude remark or nasty look towards my way stop me from doing the things that will, I mean big picture, live forever. Like, like This is my exaltation. Barbara at the store ain't going to take that away from me. Sorry, Barbara. You know what I
0: mean? That's a great segment, Al. I love the way you shifted um, to talk about things you could control and things you couldn't control. My grandfather used to talk about that as a way to move forward and reduce anxiety and and I love the way you answered that question. I probably may not change that bishop, or I may not be able to change the culture, but I can I can work on myself and be the very best self. I love then you talk about this relationship with heavenly parents and who you are and owning who you are and having the strength of character to be defined by your relationship with your heavenly parents and not by our culture or what another leader or another member said. It's it's a sign. I mean it's I think it's partly your New Yorker blood in you, but I think it's, you know, just the spirit of your and part of your life mission. And it helps all of us to do more of that. Um, talk to listeners that say, okay, Al, I get that in my head. I know I need to learn how to love myself and really um, not be bothered as much about what other people think or say, but It's hard for me to do that. I just kind of still get triggered and go back in the cycle. Any skills or any ways on a practical level that people can do what you're doing?
1: Uh, Good question. I don't know if I have the right answer for that. I just, mm, I don't know. I think it was just all the time that I spent figuring out God on my own to make that relationship real. Like I, once you get to that point, I can't really take it back. And so, um, what has really helped me is, um, conversational prayers, very honest, open conversational prayers. Always. I am very honest to God. And I think that that's how he became real to me, but it's also how I feel like that's how I made the most progress in our situations. I feel like, we oftentimes feel like we're being productive in a situation because we're thinking about it a lot. When something's always on your mind, you feel like, oh yes, I'm trying, you know, I'm doing something because it's on your mind all the time. But, um, conversational prayers and telling him like, what do you do when you're confused, when you're struggling, when you, you know, And, and that is talk to him exactly like you're confused and like you're mad and like you're struggling and, um, when I'm not at my best. <laughs> because like if you catch me on a bad day, one little comment and it's just like my husband's gotta sit next to me for like two hours working through me <laughs> like reminded me relearning these things um that I have just told you about. Because sometimes it is harder than others. Um, but I mean conversational prayers is really what helps me to get out of it faster. The more specific I am with him, the more specific he is with me. Um, And that's been helpful. I just feel like I I think of um, Adam and Eve when they were in the garden and it was the adversary that got the two of them to hide from the only ones that could help them. Um, And that's God and Christ, right? And so a lot of the times the adversary he's not really going to get to me with doctrine and he's not going to really get to me with some major sin but what he is very good at with me is um keep me standing still distraction um or or just feeling de- defeated or deflated anything to keep me from crying unto god or or moving forward in any degree that's that's the adversary and that's the adversary winning and so it's we're allowed to feel angry and confused and mad, but it's up to us whether or not to choose to live there. So I really like to have those honest prayers and have a reality check and a perspective check and um, cast the, the adversary out. I mean, we have the power that he has to obey, and so that can get rid of any unnecessary crap. Um, uh, recognizing how God speaks to us, I think in contrast, recognizing how the adversary speaks to us is, is just as important so that we don't heed things when we don't need to. And that's been helpful if you can be productive, proactive about that. I mean, anything that is good is of God, which is great. But in, in, on the flip of that, anything that is not good is the adversary, and you can, you can get rid of him um, with that power that comes from you know just being, being gods. <laughs> so um, if you feel like you are worthless that you are not worth it. It's that is not God. That's not how he speaks to us. Even when we need to change, he doesn't do it in that language. And so when I recognize that, that that's not God, well, I try my best to to get rid of him because he sucks. And I don't want him to keep me standing still because that's, that's him winning.
0: That's a great segment. I love the way you understand the things that can bring you down and the things that generally don't. And I think that's a, example for all of us to know kind of what our potential stumbling blocks are and how we work through those. I love this conversational relationship you have with Heavenly Father, Al. And I sense, sometimes I think we've created a feeling that we don't fully open open up to Heavenly Father, or if we're angry, that's the time we shouldn't pray. Um, And we should sort of have this very, I don't know, like, I mean, some sort of like we talk to a grandfather in very reverent tones. <laughs> but I sense that Heavenly Father knows all about you. Your angry days, you're talking to Him. Your hurt days, you're talking to Him. Your joyous days, and and I—is that true?
1: Yeah, and that stems from being by myself um, when I was brought, you know, introduced to the well, God in general, let alone a re- religion, but. I didn't, no one told me any different. (laughs) Awesome. So, so I just did it. But that is how, like I said, he, he is real. So even when I don't want to or it's hard to trust him, I know ultimately to keep that foot moving forward because I mean, he's, he's a friend. Like I, I, I know him because of it all. And when you know him, like could you trade that knowledge?
0: (laughs) I love that. And I, I, you know, for we've got six kids at our home, you've got three, and I want our kids to talk to me on their angry days. I want to talk them to talk to me when they're um, frustrated, when they have pain, when even I've generated the pain potentially in their eyes. And so I love what you're teaching us to do, because I think God can handle it. Um, and I think he wants us to keep those communication channels open, and you're teaching us how to do that. I want to go back to your baptism date for anybody that hasn't heard kind of your conversion story. What, you know, as I listen to people that have joined the church, um, what were the kind of the things that are core doctrines or teachings or principles that drew you to the church and were a contrast between whatever faith tradition, if you were in a faith tradition before you joined the church and joining the church?
1: Well, I, I, kind of working backwards here because I wasn't seeking out after anything. So I didn't have this hole or a void I was trying to fill. And I didn't have this thirst that I could recognize. I grew up Catholic. Um, Of course, everyone out here where I'm from does, but at least in our community of upstate New York, you don't really do anything. (laughs) When you grow up Catholic, you go to You know, you'll do your communion um, and stuff like that. But really, it's like a holiday thing. Um, It doesn't really alter much of how you live outside of that hour you're at church. I knew of Jesus, but and, and I knew stories of Jesus. But did that information mean anything to me any more than hearing my neighbor's story of their life? No, like I didn't know you were supposed to do anything with that it's just like oh jesus okay good life for him okay (laughs) like i don't know i didn't know that that should mean anything to to me um so here i am stubborn 21 year old uh, new yorker and 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 i meet these missionaries and i have never even heard of mormons before i mean where i'm from you think of people knocking on your doors and you're oh it's jehovah witnesses and so i'm talking to them and i'm like what are you guys like, what on earth? And and at that point, this is when I believed that people only turned to God when something was going wrong in their lives. And I wanted to show these cute little dorky missionaries that how they were living is in vain. And, And you don't need to do that. And so I was actually out to prove them wrong. And I was going to try my best to live how they were teaching me and to live it long enough to allow contrast to happen if it were to happen just so I can go back to them and say, you're an idiot. (laughs) Um, So this was my quest. And so this is what I'm praying every day. No one told me how. But I did it because I told them I would and then I'm out to prove them wrong. And so that's when I'm just talking because I didn't know how else to do it. Um, And I would read every day in the scriptures and I had no idea what I was reading about. It made no sense to me. But I did it every day because I, I told them I would. Now this is where the contrast really comes into play. It started in different phases. Phases being like um step 1, I caught myself defending the church to other people and then that's when I'm like oh, what's happening to me? <laughs> and then like you just you you obviously if you you feel happier and I and I always considered myself a happy person always. Um but I felt happier and I just realized that more things were coming into my life where I'm like, wait, what, what? And then this is kind of where I feel like the testimony of getting confirmed. Now that is something so physical that happened to me. Um, that, I, 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 we, we sometimes feel like the spirit isn't speaking to us. Oh, I wish I could feel the spirit more. Or Oh, I don't know if the spirit is guiding me. But let me tell you, after 21 years of not having that constant gift of, that comes from being confirmed, like what if it's so intertwined with us? It has become so much a part of us just like we were promised it would be, that it's working so seamlessly with us, just like we were promised it would be, that we don't even bat an eye. And what a beautiful gift that is when we look at it that way. And so having that contrast, I can I can look back and if I feel like I'm not being inspired or, or spoken to, I can be like, no, that's not true. That just means he is literally magnifying that promise of always being with us, that it's working so seamlessly um, that I don't have to question him as much as I probably do when I remember that. And so, um, yeah, it was just, uh, I don't know, piece by piece. It, it seemed so gradual that it's even hard to pick up on everything that happened.
0: I love that. Um, I think it's like Elder Bednar's talk about personal revelation Some you know, just as gradual and suddenly the light, suddenly the room's full of light and you don't quite know when it happened. It's like the morning sunrise on a exactly. cloudy day. You don't quite know exactly when the sun came on the horizon. You just know that it's light. And so I think a lot of testimonies are like that. My testimony is like that. Um, and um, it's a powerful experience just to go and realize that you have more light. Um, talk about I'm just going to read some of these blog titles, and you can just maybe take one or two. Um, It's intimate, um, when it doesn't work, when we want to quit. Nothing about this woman is Mormon anymore. Um, I don't feel the spirit often. These are really great blog titles that part of your ability is to be open and vulnerable. And and talk about how you're working through complicated issues that many of the people that are reading your blogs need examples of people actually being vulnerable and open. So, any of those you want to go into more detail on?
1: Uh, I think we talked nothing about this woman as Mormon anymore. Um, we talked briefly of what that the lesson of that even is. So, how I even got into writing is when I was in Utah, and that's when I thought, if yeah, it, in my ignorance, this was my ignorance where. You know, it didn't occur to me that people could go to church and not believe in it, or that people were going to church and they they were struggling with it. That didn't (laughs) I didn't know that was a thing. And that's obviously the most ignorant statement that there is, but I didn't I didn't know. (laughs) And so someone came up to me and, and they asked me a question and I was only a member for a few months and I just barely got to Utah. And I realized, wait, you're struggling with that? Um. Oh. And then it was a light bulb moment for me where it's like, well, if you're struggling with that, uh, other people are struggling with that. And I remember my first viral blog post was titled The Tattooed Mormon. And that's where that title came from. I never thought it would be a nickname or this awful, awful brand that I can't shake. <laughs> I realized the way every, everyone feels the same that blog post of how i was treated in a cafe real because of the way that i looked uh, not a lot of people can say that that is their situation but everyone it went viral because everyone can see themselves in it because they also feel like they do not belong or they also feel judged or they also feel um, mad at god and so i realized if i am bringing people together through these unified feelings Um, So every, anyways, everything I've ever written, it's, it, there's a unifying factor I try to do to reach every single person as a reader by connecting through those feelings. And yes, that means being vulnerable, but what do I care? You know what I mean? (laughs) I don't care. Um, And so every, yeah, every post is, this happened to me, but, but this is what I felt. I think you've felt that way too. So the feelings are there. Nothing about me as Mormon anymore is when followers who have followed me for a long time, they they hated what I was doing. They hated how I looked. They mentioned everything from my eyebrows to my nails, to my eyelashes, to the color and length of my hair. And, you know, a lot of other followers, these aren't people, just random people. They, they followed me. They chose to do that. And they all hopped in saying, oh my gosh, I know. And, blah, blah, blah. and so that goes back to what we were talking about earlier. And that was more about self-love. But yeah, I mean, geez, that one kind of stuck because like one, it was a bad day for me, but it was just like, I don't know, 11 years. 11 years, you know, and, and still people would come to me, um, saying I'm doing it wrong, (laughs) no matter what I'm doing and what I've accomplished and what I've wrote. I mean, they were still finding ways to tell me that, you know, I don't belong, that I'm doing it wrong. And how do you handle that, right? So that's what that was post, and it ultimately came down to that self love. Like you can't get validation from other people, and you got to get to a place where other people will not affect what you're going to do with your soul. Um, I don't know what other ones. It's intimate. That one was really about um conversion, which I try not to talk about too much anymore. Um, and just everything that goes into that. I mean, it's not just choosing to follow Christ. It's rewiring years of habit and tradition. And I don't know what are the other ones you're talking about. Tell me some other ones.
0: Well, I, I want to come back to a couple of things you said. You know, nothing about this woman is Mormon anymore. I just want to sit with you in the pain of that a little bit, even though you've got pretty tough New York skin. Al, that's really painful. And I yeah. just sit with you. You know, I mean, here may get emotional, but you've been in the church for 11 years. You've helped hundreds of people join our church, would be my guess. Hundreds and hundreds of people stay in our church, improve our culture. You've written books and you've been a key sort of this non LDS tools person to really help our church. And for then, people in our, I could tell how people outside of our church potentially could be critical of you because there's people that want our church to fail, but to be from where it should be the balm of Gilead to have people say nothing about this woman is any Mormon anymore and go through that list of things from eyebrows to whatever, that's really painful and it's just wrong, Al. And yeah. we, we need to do better. And um And we need to stop doing that. And that's why I think people are drawn to your ministry is because of that original blog post and how we have to see people the way Christ sees them. We have to make space for just the beautiful diversity and not to become this homogeneous, monolithic group that we are meant to be different and we are meant to be unique. And Some have tattoos, some don't, some, you know, whatever our differences are, just to not be threatened by those, but embrace those. And so you get this, but I just sit with you a little bit, and I recognize that a lot of people have left our church, not because of the doctrine, but because of those kind of experiences. And you have a pretty firm testimony and a New York skin and are able to stay, but I recognize we lose really good people over statements like that, and we need to do better.
1: Yeah, I feel like what the trap can sometimes be is, I mean, going back on the one thing that you said about our our differences, and I think there's a trap, an inaccurate trap that we see differences as a setback or as a weakness, but what people are failing to recognize that it is exactly what is different about us is what we need to thrive and grow in. I mean, you 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 pull up a picture of me and say she's a spokesman for the church and who without knowing me who's going to believe you? Every single thing about me tells me that I shouldn't be doing everything I'm doing now, but guess what? I'm doing it because it's those different things about me has really magnified beyond what I thought I could do and turned it into That's something cool. so much greater. You know what I mean? And so, yeah, I mean, oh, I wish I could change this and that and everyone else does that. But you know what? Like, no, 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 no. That's not, that's just not right. That is skewed perception. And, and that's the adversary, you know, holding you still um, from, and, and stopping you from doing what you should be. Yeah, I truly believe everything that is different about me is what makes me successful in my purpose.
0: That's a really powerful segment, Al. And I agree with that. I, To me, I just wrote down, be the best you you can be. That's what Al's teaching. Al's not teaching for me, Richard Osler, to be the best Al Caraway, or me, Richard Osler, be the best, you know, ex. And so I think all of our listeners, all of us need to be the very best person we can be. And we're not meant to become this monolithic group where we're just like everybody else. But I think we're just Meant to take our unique gifts and magnify them to help lift the burdens of others and help us come into Christ and help others come into Christ. And you're so I love this sort of self awareness and self confidence you have in who you are and owning who you are and looking at that. And I think that's good for other people that just are not sure that this part about them is ownable. We, we haven't really talked about LGBTQ, but you're you know Dennis Schleicher who's gay and joined the church. Your book, um, I th- was key for him just to feel like there's a place for people to belong in this church. And so I think that's one of the things you're teaching is just to own um, who we are and that that is needed to help us become the body of Christ and we're all created in these differences and that's good thing. Um, Any more thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I just think uh, um, something that I have learned early on and going back to that tattooed Mormon post of me being treated so awful because of how I looked, I have learned that, you know, there's culture. I, I, I don't believe in the term church culture. I don't think that is accurate because having been to every state in the U.S. Um, speaking at our church and having lived in too many states and having been in way too many wards, um, it's it's embarrassing how many times we've moved. But having participated wildly across the country and even in five or six other countries, I have learned one, church culture is is not the same everywhere else. I have lived in Utah for 10 years and what people are upset about and what people are targeted do not exist in the east coast. It just it just doesn't. Those issues do not exist. They're they're different. And so I I I hate saying this but I can almost tell what, where someone lives by what they are complaining about. <laughs> like um, and I I love Utah. I would I I love Utah. I am who I am because of Utah and the people in Utah. But it is true that what is happening there doesn't necessarily. It's not really an issue in other places. Um, and other places do have issues too, but they're different than the ones in Utah. So I'm not putting down Utah. I'm just saying it's different. There's different things. And um, I what was helpful to me is obviously separating church culture from location culture, but also realizing that everyone holds other people to their own personal standard. Um, How they, how you know, for example, how I personally live and interpret things, you unconsciously project on other people and you just assume that other people should be doing it the way that you're doing too. And like I said, it's, it's sometimes a... A subconscious thing that we don't even realize. It's just, you move forward in the best way in life that you think you should. But when other people are doing it in the best way they should, and it's not the same as yours, you're like, er, wait, I think they're doing it wrong. Er, wait, is, I don't know if that's the best way that they're doing it. You know what I mean? You know, when something's our reality, our reality is our truth. But their reality is their truth too. And so how can we bridge the gap? And what I um, found helpful for my well-being and my brain and my soul and my sanity is recognizing people just haven't learned things yet. (laughs) uh, When I moved to Utah and I was treated a certain way, um, I realized instead of getting mad at them, what if I just said to myself, oh, that's a lesson that they haven't learned yet. And instead of getting mad and bitter and upset and, and stop myself from doing the things I want and need to be doing, what if maybe I can be the one to teach them? What cool. if I can be the one to show them a different great way too that they can add to their you know, belt of tools and, and viewpoints? And so instead of getting mad, I try to be a teacher teach by example and with a smile and (laughs) worrying about God. It's
0: really cool. Um, I just admire culturally in Utah, we usually just aren't as open. So here you've got, and I think we're craving for vulnerable, authentic conversations at church and in our communities, because that's how we really know what's going on in the other people's lives. And like you've got a post here that says houseless and you've got this picture, I think, in this hotel you're referencing. You've got mm-hmm. your husband and these three little kids and you on a bed just looking towards the camera. And it's just like, this isn't what we planned. And and instead of not talking about that or being embarrassed about it, you just chose to make a blog about it. And I think I would, it connects people with your mission that, you know, Al's got a lot going for her. She's got a beautiful family, but she has real curveballs. That happened in her life, and she's going to talk about those and share those. And I think it's just part of—I think it's part of your generation helping. I'm nearly sixty, helping our generation and just the church. It's okay to be vulnerable and real and authentic and talk about the hard times as well as the good times, because that's how we all help and support each other. But t- that's my interpretation of your post. Let <laughs> share with us with your listeners on that.
1: Uh, I really feel like I would be doing an injustice uh, and dishonor really to shield my kids from learning those things with us. Um, Like I said, it goes back to struggling with God conversationally. And we try to teach our kids that Um, we, we try to, get them involved in our big decision making to recognize, well, how do you feel? What thoughts are coming to your mind? And so it's not just telling the kids, Hey, we're, we're moving to New York. It's like, this is what we're thinking. Like, let's talk about it with God and tell me what thoughts are coming to your mind, you know, in the next few days. So they can really learn that tool so that they can go out and apply that to their decision making and and in this hotel room if someone were to say you're going to live in a hotel for over a month my mindset would be different <laughs> but we, no one <laughs> said that they said oh you're going to close tomorrow oh you're going to close tomorrow oh you're going to close next week and so so we we were it was whiplash things were not going how they said they would. And it was completely out of our hands. And I learned an important lesson, mostly because I had no other options because we were in a single hotel room, all five of us that I lost it. I I mean, I gave up my family. I've had years of unemployment. I've had health, uh, so many things. But I can say that being in that hotel room was the hardest thing I've ever gone through. And I mean, just looking at your kids, I would want to break down and say, what did I do to to rob my kids of having a house? I mean, I, I don't cry often, but I think I cried every day. <laughs> and my kids, they were there experiencing it with me because they had no other option. And so they see me collapse on the floor after another bout of bad news. Screaming at him, hysterical. But then they also heard me say, "So what now?" They also heard me say, "This is how I'm feeling. What else is you know what I mean?" And so it's important. And like I said, it it would be a dishonor. It It would. I would be setting my kids up to fail if I didn't show them how to struggle with God, um, and that how to keep going with Him. Amidst it all, Um, and so being in that hotel room was probably one of the most sacred times in my life. Because as a family, we together struggled with God and and yelled at Him, and you know my kids learned to say, "We've prayed about this a hundred times. What now?" (laughs) And 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 I really feel that that's what we need. That's that's what everyone that's what everyone needs to to figure that out and feel comfortable doing that because unstoppable is the person who can really hook arms with God no matter
0: what. That's powerful Um, for your three kids to look at that experience in the context of what it's teaching your kids and to be able to at times step out of the pain, the pain of that situation to kind of go to the 40,000 foot level owl and see the lessons for good that's teaching your kids as they see you struggle and the the principles that teaches them how to work through struggles because they're seeing it directly from their parents. And I think, as you are correctly have concluded, that helps them. Um, It doesn't hurt them to see parents struggle or parents wrestle or parents be upset or parents ask questions. I think it helps them, give them tools to work through the same issues as they face those later on. So I don't know if that comes intuitively to you. I don't know if it comes because you totally understand the doctrine of our church or a combination of both, but it is one of your gifts, Al. Um, and it's one of the things that when I first read your blog post, that's when I first became aware of you. I just thought, this is, this is what we need. And this is really cool that Al's brave enough to share this and own this part of her story as well as the pain. So, um, we're kind of coming to the end, but on behalf of, you know, you've got hundreds of, uh, you know, you've got thousands and thousands of, of people connected with you, and we have maybe 10,000 that listen to every podcast. But our half of our listeners, thank you for who you are and the work you're doing, the work you continue to do. Um, it's just you have a unique and beautiful life ministry, and you have a beautiful family. And I just know God will continue to know how to, you know, keep your voice. Um, I think, in if we did a podcast in five years from now or two years from now, and I look on your website, there's going to be a bunch of new stuff there, Al. Um, and it's content you'll continue to maybe more books, more blogs, more speaking, more YouTube, or other media that's not even invented yet that you um, use to bring your message to our ch- our church and to the world. Um, so please just continue to be you and um, continue to do what you're doing. Any final thoughts you'd like to share with our listeners, Al?
1: Um, I just think next time we're in a schlump, next time we may find ourselves in the dirt, literally or figuratively, um, just ask. Ask different questions. Um you know what if what if we got it all backward what if you know am i improperly placing blame am i limiting my limitless god is there another way to look at all this uh what if god has something else in mind what if he knows something we don't and and i just challenge you to see what we can do to stop keeping god at arm's length like i'm so Used to doing, um, you know. What kind of life could we be living if we trusted him completely? If we embrace the unexpected, if we see our seasons through, I am certain that God is knows something we don't, and and He's bringing us to something different, but something much greater.
0: It's cool. As you give gave that last segment, I just thought of your book title because wildly optimistic is just so consistent with what you just said. So thank you, thank you, Al Caraway. Thank our listeners for joining us on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. And please go to Al Caraway's website. It's just al a l c a r r a w a y dot com, and every it's a great website with everything that um Alice put together so I encourage you to go there and check back there frequently.